Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm your host, Paul Edwards. It is exciting to have all of you listening on ACB Radio Mainstream, and I hope a few of you are hanging out as well in our Zoom room so that you can ask lots of questions. This evening, I have as my guest someone who's been a friend for many years and someone who I've spent a lot of time with at ACB conventions because one of the jobs that Mark Reichert has done for ACB over the past several years is worked on our resolutions committee and for many years he chaired that exciting committee and so we got to hang out quite a lot late at night uh, during ACB conventions. So welcome Mr. Reichert. Yes sir, thank you so much for having me on the program and I think maybe one or two uh, nights over the years, maybe you and I did a little bit of jousting, sir, which was, uh, that's probably the only exercise I've probably had over the last uh, decade. So thank you for that uh, exertion, sir. Yeah, we we did a lot of jousting, both intellectual and physical. Indeed. It was was fun. It was. Uh, was. Uh, Resolutions and, and, you know, folks, on ACB probably don't believe this, but resolutions is really one of the funnest places to be at convention. Um, Especially, especially if we're doing a good job at what we do, because it's, it's a place where you get the opportunity to explore together uh, the ideas and policies that are, that are going to turn out to be the future of ACB. And that's actually pretty exciting. Nevertheless, we shall come back to resolutions later, perhaps. But to begin with, uh, you started out as a Florida boy, did you not? Yes, sir. I I grew up in uh, in Fort Lauderdale, was there for the first 18 years of my life, and then uh, zipped up to uh, Stetson University for undergraduate. And yes, that's uh, Stetson as in the hats and the cologne. Everybody always wants to know that. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, in 1990, I uh, fell in love with Washington, D.C., and came, came on up here for law school and have never left. Yep, and um, Stetson is in D-Land, Florida. Yes, or, or, or is in D-Land, Time Forgot, or Deadland. Uh, yes. On, uh, yeah. it's, a, it, it's probably actually an interesting university to go to because it's relatively small which means you get a chance to, to actually know a lot of the students who are there. Well, that's right. And then, of course, my, my attitude about the town is, you know, 30 years old. Hell, for all I know, it's probably the most progressive town in, in Central Florida, which would probably be saying a lot for Central Florida, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would. <laughs> yeah. It would. So Washington, D.C., law school at Georgetown? GW, so. George Washington uh, University. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. and 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 the GW uh, students very much take umbrage to that side. Yes, I from the Georgetown people, you see. Yes, yeah. slightly less preppy, one assumes. 
Yes. Uh, unfortunately, not less expensive, but uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And then right out of law school, you went to work for? Well, right out of law school, it was about a year, year and a half. And uh, not to be all serious right out of the gate here, Mr. Edwards, but uh, I, uh, I I can honestly say to, to you and to the, the listening audience, um, I never I never really felt... You know, I was kind of a, a, a low, a low vision guy. And I, you know, I was one of those people who I had cane training and stuff growing up and all that. But, you know, I was one of those cheaters, you know, I, I tucked the cane away and but get around without it and all that. So I never, I never really felt like someone who was blind or someone who was quote unquote disabled until those, that, that those months and year, year and a half after law school, mm-hmm. uh, when, uh, Wow, that was a really tough time, and uh, I, uh, you know, would uh, got to the point where I was doing cold calling on uh, on small firms in the mm-hmm. you know, northern Virginia area, and I'd show up, and they would say, "Well, gee whiz, we, you know, uh, you seem like you know you seem like a n- nice young man. You've got a decent background, but we're not really sure we can do you can do this work because uh, we don't have any braille phones." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so after all that uh, stuff, and uh, it was definitely, as it were, a, an, an eye opener in all the right ways. Honestly, yep. I mean, as we look back, right at the time, it's terrible, but um, it definitely was. Uh, it it kind of recalibrates your your values and your sense of yep. who you are and all that. And then uh, a gentleman that you and I both know very well, Scott Marshall. For all we know, maybe he's tuned in tonight or uh, mm-hmm. will be listening. Uh, worked for many years for ACB, for AFB, and and so forth, and now is with the Federal Communications Commission. I uh, I, I connected up with him uh, when I uh, first moved to DC in in June of 1990, and thanks to that networking and uh, and ACB, I ended up connecting up with someone named Patri- Patricia Beebe, uh, mm-hmm. who was uh, working, uh, who's no longer with us, but I'm I hope smiling down. Uh, and uh, she uh, she was working at National Industries for the Blind, and NIB had an internship uh, for governmental relations staff, and uh, I connected up with that. And uh, about a month into that internship, the uh, CEO of NIB offered me a job, and uh, you know that that's how you know you can blame the CEO of NIB if if uh, those of you who don't really want me in this business. She's the one who got me uh, <laughs> paying for this. Uh, uh, for mm-hmm. my time, so that's what I do. Excellent, and um, and at actually until what three or four years ago, you you worked really in the blindness biz all the rest of your career. Well, that's exactly right. So, so I was with NIB for a couple of years, and then Oral Miller um, and I connected on ACB's uh, director of advocacy services position which I was the first person to hold that office uh, for ACB. Claire Stanley, uh, who just left ACB, was the most recent staff person uh, to, to play that role. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the uh, trials and tribulations of that role, which is, I mean, it's tough when you're on the front lines like that, uh, trying to provide uh, as much assistance and information to uh, ACB members and friends. 
And so I did that for a little while. And then Scott, who I just you know talked about a moment ago, uh, he called me up one day and said, hey, um, a lady who had been working for me, is uh, she's moved over to the professional association in the blindness business. Why don't you, uh, you know, if you're of a mind to do so, why don't you apply for her position? And that's what I did. So I worked for AFB then from 1998 through 2001. And then the lady who I'm talking about at AFB, her name is Denise Rozell. She worked for AER, which is the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And yes, we all get paid a hundred bucks for every syllable uh, for the uh, that's, organization. That's right. <laughs> insane on every. And so I, I took her place at at uh, at AER in 2001. Did that for a while, and then uh, Carl Augusto and Paul Schrader, who were the leadership at AFB, said uh, we've got a brand new leadership position at AFB. Why don't you come on back? So I did that. Came on back. Did that through about uh, oh gosh. Uh, November of 2018. And then, you know, I, I have a terrible sense of timing. Somehow I managed to uh, decide that I really wanted to do some consulting work uh, for a while during a, a you know, uh, as I think we all know at this point, but kind of a, a funky period in our, in our nations and our world's history. And yeah. uh, anyway, so yeah, that's what, and, and that now, and then I most recently, uh, the, uh, earlier this uh, year, in March of 2020, the folks at AER found themselves in need of an executive director. They separated uh, from their executive director, and they said, "Well, gosh, Mark did it before, and he didn't totally run us into the ground. So maybe, maybe uh, we should reach out to him." And so they said, "Hey, would you uh, be willing to help us out during this transition period?" And I said, "Oh my God." Yes, yes. <laughs> I would love to help. Anyway, that's how I ended up back here. Excellent. So I think it would be accurate to say that um, for a long time, let's say in the 1990s and the 2000s, the, the, the blindness system was actually pretty steady and, and, and pretty straightforward. Kind of everybody knew who everybody was and everybody behaved in the way that they were expected to behave. And um, and we kind of and we kind of knew who was what and where. But I would suggest to you that in the last ten years, a lot of that has changed, and the topography of the blindness system is not what it what it what it was. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And I, I don't know if you will agree with me. I hope you won't, because it'll be funner to use the technical legal term uh, if, if, if yeah. you don't. Uh, but, but uh, so I, 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 I don't want to blame this on our friends at recording for the blind and dyslexic, but I will pick on them a little bit only to say that I remember when, you know, for several years uh, from the, the mid nineties, when I really started to get involved in all this, you know, uh, recording for the blind changed from RFB to RFB and D and then ultimately they converted on over to learning ally. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so, and none of us really necessarily knew what that name change meant. Uh, I mean, I think we knew in principle, but you know, good grief. I mean, that's a little obscure. What does that mean? Uh, and, and, and it's just, there was something about 
the 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 time in which they made that name change that just kind of struck me at the time as wow this is kind of a turning point where a major blindness organization uh changed their brand you know um and and sort of walked away from a strict blindness and vision impairment uh identity right more to this sort of broader and i and i again i i God knows where this podcast is going to go. And I don't want to, I'm not blaming anybody for anything, but I would just say there was just something about that, that shift that I just remember at that time thinking, wow. uh, Okay. So, so this is a major institution, if you will, in our, in our community, Uh, the equivalent to that, or the, that would touch, touch us most deeply or most emotionally would be, if you know uh, the seeing eye, right, or or one of the dog guide schools changed their brand to 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 being a a, a, a service animal school. Yep, yep. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> I I I I think I I do agree with you that that it was the beginning of of almost um, almost an effort to rebrand and lessen. Um, the involvement of blindness in what one does, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that certainly happened with 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 Learning Ally. But I think, but I think that the roles of a lot of the major players and organizations of blind folks have also changed pretty drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if we look at if we look at AFB, they seem to have changed their focus pretty substantially and dropped a lot of what they used to do. Um, and become kind of folk or became kind of focused on employment um, to to uh, almost to the detriment of most other things that they that they were doing. Well, it's an interesting, and and of course, I think some of us have seen uh, even in the last week uh, some announcements with the American Foundation for the Blind shifting away from the one sort of. Uh, 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 galvanizing focus that they had, which was to work with the Ability One Commission on right. You know, so, so maybe we can talk a little, little bit about that. But I, I will say, uh, you know, to to kind of circle the wagons <laughs> or whatever about Learning Ally. You know, I think part of the challenge is, and I think this is true for for Learning Ally. I think it's true for AFB. It's true for a lot of the organizations in the field. I, the, the the pie keeps shrinking and and so the, the the money that's on the table you know people keep grabbing at it and there's less and less of it and i think there are there are organizations maybe this is true for the for the whole blindness field i hope it's not true but that we uh, as a field we're so we're witnessing this and i think um we're we're getting more and more hungry as there are less and less, uh, you know, resources to, to to grab for, and so I think, I think the folks at Learning Online probably made a, a, a calculus that said, uh, "Gosh, we need to rebrand ourselves because that's where the action's at." It wasn't yep. so much an identity about "gee whiz, we don't care about blind people." I'm sure they do. I'm I'm certain they do. That's not the issue. The issue is where are the dollars. 
And I think that that I think is the, the, the core of your question or your your point, which is um, in in the given that reality, how are how are the individual organizations, how is our community responding to that and either demanding, you know, good grief, I'm sorry, you, you, you may think that we have solved all the blindness and vision impairment problems, but we haven't. Uh, but but beyond that, how do we uh, how do we assert ourselves and say, look, beyond dollars and cents, we you know here is what our rightful place at the table looks like, right? And and what kind of and what kind of brand is going to work? I mean, I absolutely agree with you about learning ally. There are a lot more learning disabled people um, in this country absolutely. than than there are blind people, right? And a mile, and, and it's. Right, and it's a lot easier to market um, to learning disabled people than it is than it is to market to blind people yep. who um, who are a pretty fixed population, yep. and and who essentially aren't going to change very much. Yeah. Um, yep. So, um, but but I think it's more interesting to explore, at least a little bit, um, what what the rebranding of other organizations has meant because it seems to me that what the net result has been has been a seismic reorganization of the distribution of power within the blindness system. Um, I love this question. I love it Be because, and, and, and Paul, you, you will know this. I remember uh, in the, in the uh, early nineties or mid nineties reading <clears throat> the text of, of a, of a speech by, the late Dr. Ken Sternigan, and I don't remember the precise title, but essentially the title was something like the balance of power in the blindness mm -hmm. system, something mm -hmm. like that. And it was, it was an absolutely insightful, uh, succinct, right. Uh, analysis of how things were at that time. And, and I remember reading it thinking, wow, he's, he's spot on. And, if, and 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 I would I would be willing to 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 postulate that if Dr. Jernigan were alive today and he were writing that that speech today, I I would believe that he would say, you know what, because of the internet, because of any other macro factors that have gone on, besides which, you know, who who's got their hands in the money or who's who's lost the money for either because of just a lack of clarity about their mission or maybe even just straight up mm -hmm. mismanagement or whatever, right? That, 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 the, that the reality of it is whatever the balance of power is in the blindness system these days, it's not about organizations. It's about people. It's about who the people are who are staffing those organizations, what their credentials are, what their backgrounds are, it has nothing whatsoever to do with, you know, well, gee whiz, I'm affiliated with this, you know, uh, blindness organization or that blindness organization. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm the first vice president of ACB. I'm damn proud of that. I think right. ACB has, is, is awesome. I'm not, I'm not talking about ACB versus NFB right now. I'm talking right. about how, how just across the board, the different organizations – the reality of it is if somebody who doesn't know anything about any of us, they're not going to look up ACB or NFB or AFB or the APH or Learning Ally or whatever the healthy organization is that's your favorite. They're going to Google 
blindness and vision impairment, or they're going to Google, you know, uh, grandma can't see too well. And they're yep. going to get whatever the hell that comes up off that Google search. And it's, it could be whatever, whoever it is who happens to be at that moment has the best search engine optimization. And that has totally scrambled the analysis of the balance of power and the blindness system. Yep. I think, I, I think it goes further, though, um, because there are organizations that, that have contracted, as AFB has, and I'm overjoyed. I was overjoyed earlier this year to see the role that they played in, 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 in sponsoring the survey, by the way, the pandemic survey. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, that's, that, that was really an excellent move, and, and I'm overjoyed. If, if they're backing away from what appears to me to be kind of a monolithic uh, approach to employment. Um, but nevertheless, a, a lot of the signature things that one recognized AFB for, like um, Career Connect and uh, all of the other websites that they had put together have been transferred to APH. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so at least to a degree, the balance of power in some of those systems and reaching out to parents and reaching out to older blind people and reaching out to, um, to, to kids who are looking for careers, um, the, the baton has been passed to APH from AFB. Um, and, and, and I think that that alters things. But at the same time, I think that um, an organization that used to be uh, an organization of private agencies serving the blind um, has now expanded to the point where where it's actually stepping in to areas that it never considered before. It's getting involved in advocacy. It's um, it's beginning to work more as a leader and a catalyst in working at looking at programs for the aging that used to be really the province of of AFB. Wow, so much to respond to there. So I, I would say, money money is like a magnet, right? If you have it, it attracts it attracts uh, other people, right? If you have it, it's 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 a magnet. People come to you if you have it. Now, the American uh, Printing House for the Blind, which is an esteemed organization that's been around mm-hmm. for what uh, one hundred and forty years, fifty years. Yep. I, I mean, it, it has a history that goes back well beyond uh, even the American Foundation for the Blinds, which is, you know, AFB is coming up on, right. on its centennial next year. So, I, it, the, and, and, and by the way, I would just say as a, as a footnote, though a ginormous, to use the technical legal term, a ginormous mm-hmm. footnote. I mean, if you have between 25 and $30 million a year coming to you, uh, from taxpayer dollars, uh, gee whiz, that's an awfully nice uh, infusion of uh, cash annually to help you keep uh, keep the keep the lights on and keep your work going. So I, I so so while APH has has grown and has that sort of magnetic presence about it over that same period of time, AFB has been. Develop. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about even the last five, 10 years. I mean, like 30, 40, 50 years, right? I mean, it's a long, uh, generations long issue. AFB has been 
developing stuff and unloading stuff. I mean, I think, right. I think I, I've even said to people in the year 2021, uh, I mean, it's, it's not up to me. They don't pay me for this. Right. So, I mean, it's up to AFB, whatever they want to do. I would say in 2021, AFB needs to be thinking about more than anything else, celebrating what contributions AFB has made to the field, whether it be from veterans issues or the talking book program, or uh, frankly, the the the, uh, the 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 industries program that now NIB runs, or whatever. Every yep. decade of AFB's life, AFB has developed stuff and then hacked that that program off. And and in the in the last 15, 20 years, AFB has done the same kind of thing, and APH has been the recipient of that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I, I, I suppose it depends on how you look at it. If you're an AFB staffer and you say, well, gee whiz, uh, holy mackerel, uh, the, 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 the resources seem to keep uh, going down and APH seems to be collecting it all, maybe I should uh, jump ship and go to, AFB, uh, go to APH. Okay, maybe you should think that. And by the way, no surprise, a lot of AFBers have gone to APH. Plenty of them have. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? On some levels, may, maybe AFB has had its time in the sun, and now it's focused on a few critical things as maybe all of us sort of reconfigure uh, for the next century or this century and, uh, and move forward. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't think I'm trying to judge the changes as being good or bad, um, mm -hmm. but rather as being real. Um, yeah, and, good point. And, and, you know, I think we can, we can at the same time look at the organization that you're now interim director of, yeah. which has actually changed its focus fundamentally in the last five years. And you guys have added two or three things that you've never done before. Yeah, well, um, it, it is. It is interesting, and I and I would say, you know, so 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 AER, we uh, we 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 uh, every organization has the way that it markets itself, right? So so I mean, I'm I'm speaking very candidly now. So mm -hmm. in AER's case, we 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 market ourselves as sort of the collective voice of all of the professional disciplines serving kiddos, working adults, and older people who mm -hmm. have uh, who are blind or visually impaired, you know, uh, people experiencing vision loss. So, you know, in the in the in days gone by, AER managed a certification program for the different professional disciplines serving those folks. We don't do that anymore. And and not unlike not unlike AFB, right? Which uh, you know uh, developed a program and then said, you know what, uh, we did it, we did it. Congratulations! Let's pat ourselves on the back, and maybe it's time to move on. Let's let's push that into you know let's let's launch that. Let's uh, throw the little egret out of the nest or whatever, <laughs> or whatever the, the the metaphor yep. is, right? We did that with certification. And, and, right. and so 20 years ago, we established a certification body that has far too damn long of a name, but it's, yep. you know, so we did that. 
So, uh, and then over the course of these 20 years, we've said, well, what, what should our focus be? Well, I think our focus should be supporting the various professional disciplines and the blindness field through continuing education, professional development. And, and AER has, has done that through, again, we're speaking very candidly tonight, but uh, you know, through, through fits and starts. And, and so in the last year or so, uh, you know, since, since yours truly was invited back to kind of help AER through this transition period, you know, I, it's, it's almost like, I have to say, let me just kind of take a, a, an aside here and say, I have, I have no personal complaints. I mean, I, very few people get to come home and very few people get to come home, come home twice. Yep. And I've gotten to do that. And actually, if you throw in the American Council of the Blind, not to get all emotional here, and of course, I'm kind of struggling with that right now all of a sudden for some reason. Um, I, some of us have gotten to do it three times. Yeah, you know uh, where where y- you go away and you come back, and I got to do that with AFB twice. And for some reason, the folks at a- AER said, "Why don't you come on back and 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 do it?" And I did. And that, frankly, it's a dream come true to be able to say, you know, there's been some stuff we we lost some stuff on the table. Now let's let's turn that you know let's write the new chapter. And the new chapter that we're trying to write is to establish a, a, a really true, robust professional development and continuing education uh, you know, platform where but, we can deliver some of this content. But nevertheless, um, in, 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 even though ACREP um, has now dissociated itself from AER, um, AER has suddenly gotten into the accreditation business. Well, okay, so so so, 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 let, so let's let's, un, let's unpack that for people. So 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 ACREP, as you put it, is A C V R E P, which stands for the S the oh hell, the Accreditation <laughs> Council for Vision Rehabilitation and, and Education Professionals. I think I got that right. That you did. Uh, yes, and so and, and I don't know what our we have we have an a pathological obsession in the blindness field for organizations with long names. I, I don't know what, I would like to think it's because we're trying to be inclusive and because, so in AER's case, right? So AER, the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. So what does that tell you? We're, we're trying to get, you know, both sides or, you know, to speak very broadly, right. both sides of the house, for the educated you know, kids and adults. And we're not just for, "Quote unquote hardcore blind folks, Paul, like you and me, but you know, right. but, but 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 all those other people." Well, and so, and, and and really, it, it part of it is because two organizations joined forces to create AER. Well, that's because, right in the mid eighties. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yep, yes, yes, that's right. And so it, it it's all about compromise, and right, and and, and we don't want to. But back to your point. Um, so we, so so right. So so ACVREP has is the entity that AER helped to establish a generation ago for certifying blindness professionals. But of course, as Paul, as you well know, and I think you've been, you were a, 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 a member of the board of directors for this entity for a while. The I National was. Accreditation Council. Uh, you'll you'll tell me what the full name is, but NAC, of course, is what we know it by. 
colloquially. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. One, Go ahead. One, one of the one, one of the uh, one of the better curse words in the blindness system, according to many. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It, uh, right. There are a few single syllables in the blindness business that uh, raise eyebrows and wrinkle noses, and uh, you know, get uh, people pouting or mumber, mumbling stuff under their breath uh, more than that. Now, but, now but, you guys have changed its name now, have you not? Well, so 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 the National Accreditation Council, uh, I, 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 I will admit this, uh, well, while tape is rolling, uh, I think was it in existence for easily 40 years, uh, right? From it, the 1960s, I think? It, 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 late 60s, early 70s, I think, okay. yeah. So, so, uh, but NAC as a as a nonprofit entity expired. Uh, you know, gave up the ghost. Uh, uh, the, what? Uh, let's see, two three years ago, and uh, yeah. and and when a nonprofit organization like that dissolves, they have uh, their board of directors meets and they say, well, now we have some resources left over. What are we going to do with those resources? And so AER and NAC entered into negotiations and conversations and AER decided to take over the the responsibility for NAC as it was uh, uh, dissolving to, to uh, uh, play that role of the accreditate uh, the, the accrediting body in the blindness system. And so there are really two parts to AER's accrediting function. We, we credential, uh, nonprofit uh, organizations, whether they be uh, uh, service provider, direct service service provider agencies for adults and older people, uh, a- as well as uh, schools for the blind and visually impaired. So we 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 credential those institutions, and then we also, um, uh, for many years, long before AER took over that function. Um, we, we uh, credentialed university programs preparing the next generation of, of uh, teachers of students with vision impairments, L&M instructors, right. related to services folk. And so those are sort of the two sides of the accreditation house. And, and really, both of them have grown. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I need, I, I, I need to say for the record here, though the, the it may require it, it, it may cause assassins to lurk. Um, I, happen, I happen to believe that accreditation of university programs and accreditation of agencies serving blind folks um, are two of the most important things we do in the blindness system. Um, you know, I spent an awful long time on the NAC board. There aren't a lot of people who know it. Um, I don't mind that they do. Um, but it, it simply wasn't something that was very public because there are a lot of folks in the American Council of the Blind um, who are categorically opposed to NAC as it was. What I'm hoping is that uh, it, we've been talking about it is that is that quote NAC can rebrand itself. I know you guys have changed its name, um, but I I hope you guys are also reaching out. Um, at least potentially, um, to the NFB to see if if we can persuade them to be more accepting of the notion of accreditation now that NAC's not there anymore. Well, I guess the two things I would say about that are, number one, 
the the entire uh, corpus of the standards for, uh, by you know the rubrics by which we judge uh, right. university programs and the, the the agencies and schools has been thoroughly evaluated and changed and there are a lot of uh, you know it's been updated to, to modernize them and then the second thing i would say and i don't think i'm telling tales at a school here is that we have actively been uh courting our colleagues at the national federation of the blind to find some way in which um certainly they can play an observer uh, role if, if, if not something more than that. The only thing I would say is, and, and, and Paul, maybe we could take just two minutes before we maybe um, turn the corner here and either open up for questions or, or, or you take us in another direction since you're the, yes. you're, you're the one running, running the damn show here, sir, uh, is, is I, I have to say that I, 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 I have never as being, you know, a kid, relatively speaking, right, in the last 25, 30 years to all of this, I, I never fully understood the the um, uh, the the enmity that so many people seem to exhibit towards NAC. I mean, the reality of it is, were, the, were there institutions, were there schools for the blind, where, where, where students were blind and visually impaired, young people uh, were harmed absolutely sure were they were, were they were they uh, were they were those institutions accredited by NAC uh, yes they were was the fact that they were accredited by NAC you know uh, causation for those no it's not was the fact that those things happened and then NAC somehow blew off uh, the, the, those, those tragedies, some kind of, you know, is that some kind of commentary on NAC? I don't believe it is. I think the reality of it is either the standards such as they are, are either aggressive or they're not. If they are, if they're not aggressive enough, then shame on all of us. And, and, and we, and then we, look back at them and we say, gee whiz, maybe the rubrics need to be tightened. Maybe they need to be stronger. And then we strengthen them. I, I, but at, at some point, some folks in our field decided to, uh, from what I can tell, exploit those, those very real tragedies and turn that into some kind of political, you know, uh, uh, cause and say, well, Therefore, because those things happen and because this entity called NAC exists, maybe we, whoever we are, maybe we need to be in charge. And I'm sorry if this offends people, since you were willing to offend somebody, let me offend somebody else <laughs> along with you. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that the mere fact that someone's eyeballs uh, don't happen to work, that is not in itself a credential. And an organization that's made up of people whose eyeballs don't work that organization, by because they have a majority of blind people in them, that doesn't entitle them to jack. The, the, the real right. issue should be about whether we all agree that there are certain standards, certain expectations. Do you meet them or not? If you don't, then shame on you. And let's raise the bar. I think there was a presumption in... Um during a, a period of NAC, a period before I was involved, and, and I've been involved for a long time, so it was pretty early in NAC's history where where there was at least a perception that that 
NAC was rubber stamping agencies who were providing inappropriate services. Um, I can't comment on that because I wasn't there. And I, and I can't and, and, and I can't comment on whether it's true or not. What, what I will say is I don't think NAC did a good job of marketing when it did not accredit. You know, I've, I have been on accreditation visits where in evaluating an agency, um, the committee, it, it, so I probably need to explain this a little bit more for our listeners. What happens with NAC is a group of two or three people generally go to an agency and spend two or three days looking at their books, talking to the people who are there, um, looking at the report that, that the organization has prepared, which by the way is, is, is the core of accreditation. It's a self-study that the agency does of itself, looking at how it's doing things as against the standards that, that the accrediting body sets. Um, and, it's, and it's a really valuable way for any organization to come to terms with things that, that, that may turn up needing to change, even if you're a great agency, even if you're the best agency in the world, there, you're not necessarily perfect. In fact, I don't think any agency is perfect. But, mm-hmm. but so there are two parts, the, the self-study. But then <clears throat> when you go to visit these agencies, you actually compare what's on paper to what you see and and I've been on self-studies where what we saw was simply not good enough, and we refused to provide that agency with any accreditation whatsoever. Yeah. But I don't think we did a good job as an organization of making it clear to our field that there are organizations who we won't accredit or there are organizations who will only partially accredit. And so I think there was a perception that, it was very easy for people to get accredited using the the process that was involved in in, in accreditation and, 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 through that and bucket. Yet, I, I think you're right, and yet, uh, and, and the reason why I think you're right is because I've heard from. I mean, like you say, I I mean, if 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 that's your experience and you've been in the field for as long as you have, sir, I I mean, I, I'm 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 you're you're my senior in this field <laughs> don't don't hang up at me for putting it that way i that was the only phrase that came to mind right now but i i just i know from people who who've been there to, to know that and yet here's the irony here's the irony if the if that is if that rap is right that it was so easy to get accreditation I mean, I will invoke a name that I know you know all too well, and and maybe any number of our listeners know, and that's Carl Augusto. Carl Augusto, who for many years was the executive director, the president and CEO of AFB, used to be the executive director for for NAC, if I'm not mistaken, for any number of years. He has made the point that even at its height, the National Accreditation Council, NAC, never had even one-fifth of the agencies in the blindness and vision impairment field associated with it. Yeah. So, so, so the real question I would say is, if it is in fact true that NAC is some kind of rubber, or was some sort of rubber stamp, easy to get, and, and, and all of that, so then why didn't agencies do it if it was that simple? And I think... There's probably, frankly, two sides to that coin because life is not that simple, right? I mean, life right. never is. 
So the one side of that coin is, well, one of the reasons why they didn't do it is because, well, you know, gee whiz, uh, you know, if, if it's that easy, maybe it's not that valuable. You know, maybe it's maybe we, we don't need to, to deal with it. And that's right. true. If you, if you look across the states, how many states other than, let's say, the state of Florida uh, recently, I think the state of Pennsylvania, although I think recently the state of Pennsylvania changed. Uh, uh, there were some changes there in Pennsylvania. And so some of the Pennsylvania agencies have, have uh, maybe walked away from accreditation. Right. Um, but but in any case, so I think, you know, part of it is that there was no real expectation that agencies adhere to a national accrediting body. But I think probably the flip side of it also is how much real genuine commitment is there? And this is the part that troubles me, and I expect it troubles you, sir, is how much real depth of commitment is there to quality services on the part of our blindness nonprofit service provider agencies and schools. Because unless there was somebody cracking the whip at the state level to say, thou shalt be uh, accredited by this blindness specific right. credentialing body, they, they, they don't do it. They don't do it. Right. And, if, I, and I, if it was so, if it was so easy years ago, then, then why wouldn't they have done it if for no other reason than to say, hey, we, hey do we have a, a commitment to quality service to our patrons, to our clients? You bet. We hold an accreditation. I thought you were going to say something different. And since you didn't, I will. Okay. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's where the problem lies. The problem lies in the fact that... Um, Blind people as a group of consumers, um, whether whether we're talking about ACB or NFB, um, will probably pay lip service to the notion that accreditation is a good thing. Um, but almost none of them are prepared to stand up and be counted in terms of the, the only um, meaningful and, and acceptable blindness-specific accreditation system that's out there. Um, and until, I mean, ultimately, blind consumers are the folks who ought to be most concerned about ensuring that the agencies that serve their brothers and sisters are doing a good job. And and I don't think, I don't think we have ever, whether we're talking about ACB or whether we're talking about NFB, we have ever seriously recognized the fact that um, the real issue isn't isn't whether. Uh, whether uh, we're involved in the way that we want to be. The real issue is whether there are standards that are, that are categorically setting out the service delivery system and that are protecting blind people from being mistreated in agencies. So. Well, that's, that's, you, you've got, you've got my wheels turning right now. And I'm, 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 I can't, I can't, <laughs> Not only can't I argue with that, I would be a fool to argue with that. The only thing yeah. I would say in addition to it is, it is, is, is and, and what I'm about to say is a little controversial, which, by the way, distinguishes it not at all to anything that we've set up until now. <laughs> let's, let's hope that I'll have a job uh, a month from now. But anyway, but that's a whole other thing. Maybe we'll put this, maybe, could we put this recording on tape delay until June, maybe? 
Uh, uh, yeah, maybe not so much. Okay, but that's fine. So how much? I, I how would, much is it worth to you, Mark? I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, got three boxes of ramen noodles left. You're welcome to them. Um, so, so I, I, I would say I think it. The majority of folks who need service and who are getting service from the agencies who either currently maintain or should be seeking AER accreditation, mm -hmm. right? The majority, that population are not people who would themselves identify themselves as folk who are blind or visually impaired. They, they, are, they are older people who, like my dear sweet mama and plenty of people who might be listening to this program, might say, I'm not blind, I'm not visually impaired, I just can't see too well. Yeah. And plenty, and plenty of the agencies would say, that's right, we're trying to reach that population. These are not capital B blind people these are these are folks that are starting to experience vision loss and they're on that continuum and so forth. So so the reason why I, I was making all that uh, uh, overblown, you know, uh, hyperbolic set of comments a second ago was some people can take that comment that I just made and say, well, right. So you're 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 letting agencies off the hook or you're letting the blindness field off the hook, because after all, you're trying to say, well, that population isn't us. Therefore, you know, it's a different group of people, and so that's not we're we're not part of that. Right. But but I but I, I would say what that what that points out, and ACB has talked about this too, which is how in the world we have a membership that's wonderful, that's really active, and 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 I think even more vibrant maybe than it's ever been before. And yet, I think all of us recognize that. There is, you know, literally tens of millions of people who should be involved in the blindness or whatever, you know, community, but who aren't and might frankly never involve themselves in our community because they don't, they don't identify themselves as us. Or maybe we fail them because we're too busy trying to pigeonhole them into some capital B blindness pigeonhole. And, sure. and, so, and so that's the hard part when you say... How do these agencies, uh, what, what's the expectation we make of agencies? What do we think of them? What do they think of, of, of credentialing? The reality of it is, I think, um, they, they are serving a population that isn't necessarily, you know, in the blindness, organized blind movement sense, that active. And so we're trying to step in on their behalf to anticipate and defend their rights to quality service, even though they're not. And I think the, the, the blindness agencies recognize that dynamic. And then in recognizing that dynamic, they also look at the sort of real world in front of them and right. say, well, gee whiz, how many states are really requiring us to adhere to these credentials? And they say, well, gee, I mean, you know, a handful of them respond and say, yep, because we want to hold it. We want to go the extra mile. And, but most of them don't. And, uh, and that's a real challenge for us. I think. Hey, gents, Anicio has been holding here and I think he'd like to join the conversation. Oh, let's, I don't, I don't let's know if uh, Mr. Mark would like that. 
<laughs> Mark, uh, how are you? Anisio, welcome. Uh, Anisio Correa. To, to, to use Mark's expression, there is so much to unpack. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but the, the, this last point, I think one of the one of the issues with the field, the 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 lack of incentive for accreditation. Um, mm, right. Obviously, it's funding, right? There's no funding associated, except, like you said, in some states. Yeah. And in many ways, it's not that different from the issue of certification of professionals. I right. mean, if you go to the, the, the ACVREP website and you look for vision rehab therapists, you have less than 600 in the country. Yeah, right. I mean, so what does that mean? What does that certification mean? That you have 600 certified vision rehab therapists. I mean... To me, it means nothing, really, uh, because obviously it's a, it's a, a, it's a minuscule number of people to address the needs. But the other thing that you just mentioned, Mark, about this tens of millions of people, if they are yeah. out there, yeah. I mean, two issues I see with them. One, I mean, why would they associate with us? What is it that they see? They don't see themselves as visually impaired, even as yeah, they do not. Right? And the other, the other issue is that is a population where there's no money to serve. So mm -hmm. why would we want to bring them in if we can't serve them you know, and, and until we get third-party reimbursement? Mm -hmm. um, the third point that I wanted to make, to, to go back a little bit to, to address the whole issue of change in the field and the topography and the yeah. personality, I'm wondering if, if um, and these are all connected in a way, but uh, I wonder if, if there is a, agencies have changed and tried to market themselves different and, and, and uh, uh, different names, take the blind word blind out, put it back in, mm -hmm. take it out. Uh, but I think the, the biggest piece is the emphasis mm -hmm. on the leadership of agencies being more towards development and fundraising, which obviously right. is important in the agency. Yeah. But I don't That's know right. that that should be what drives the agency from the top leadership. Yeah. And when, you was, when you connect with that, the fact that that has led to the, the decrease in numbers of strong blind people right. that, that can advocate and uh, and be out there uh, advocating for our needs rather than trying to fit ourselves with other people's needs which ultimately will take you know we we, we just disappear because we're too small well so the comment that i would make uh, anisio and i don't know if mark would agree with this is that um I think agencies are caught between a rock and a hard place um, because particularly for serving older blind people, which are the majority of the population that's out there, um, they, they, they're, they're not getting enough money from the state. They're not getting enough money from the federal government. And, that, and the money that they're getting from the feds has remained the same for the last 12 or 14 years right. and, and, and doesn't show any sign of changing anytime soon, at least as things stand now. So the bottom line is they have to find ways of raising money if they're, if they're going to serve these folks. And if, if they're going to be able to do that, they, they can't 
they can't afford to hire anybody but people who can raise funds. And, and if that means um, sacrificing, as I think it sometimes does, the quality of the programs that they end up running, so be it, because it's either do that or not survive at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they sh- Obviously, I agree with you. They, they have to focus on fundraising. What I'm saying, though, is I don't always think that that has to be at the level of the top leadership of the agency. I mean, there are a lot of agencies, yeah. strong development departments. You know what I mean? That um, It's almost like, you know, if you go to a college or university, the head of that is not a development person, probably. Right. Need some education, and but by all means, they raise a lot of money. Well, I mean, this this is a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, right? So, so because if you have a really talented person, even someone who's visually impaired, who is in middle management or even on the senior leadership team. What what is their background with business? What is their background with marketing? Right. Who in the hell knows? So, yeah. so and and then and then boards of directors they look for somebody who actually has that. Now here's the thing that really frustrates me. It's 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 the blind person who colorably has substantive knowledge, and I'm not going to name names even though I could. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. But but the, the blind you know the blind person who colorably has substantive experience with blindness issues, but who has gone out of their way to to acquire some sort of set of credentials in the business area, right. uh, whether it's an MBA or whatever, it has nothing to do with blindness. It's just whatever, or some kind of you know they they they've mastered the the art of you know, the year 2020, whatever the most recent set of fad right. uh, management terminology is, and they've convinced some board of directors that they're hot to trot on that, whatever. I, it, you know, if you, th- that's, that's the kind of people that I'm really concerned about. And, and it's a real challenge because if we are not, if we do not actively promote our people blind or sighted, frankly, right. who have, right. who have, substantive experience in our field as professionals in this field, how in the hell do we ever expect people to uh, be attracted to this field? Because they're going to say, my God, I'm going to go, I'm going to get my master's degree and I'm going to work for 20 years and I'm going to be capped out at this, not only dollar amount, but just in terms of my job satisfaction, I'm I'm still going to be, you know, two or three layers behind the boss and, and what, I'm going to be 65 years old and that's the hardest I'm going to go? We're not, we're not going to attract people under those no. circumstances. So, so, so Mark, so in my, my last point is, and Paul's going to get tired of me because every time I talk about blindness issues, I bring this, this whole thing. That is not going to change because obviously the pie is not increasing. It's not going to change until we get third-party reimbursement and get our our professionals, whoever those are, because I think they'll be different, not the ones we have now, um, licensed and able to, to attract <clears throat> medical reimbursement. And, uh, and that will impact on accreditation because then organizations Well, the only thing I would say to that is I, I, I don't, I, it, it's not so much that I disagree with you. I would supplement what you said by saying, I'm not entirely sure 
that our field, and in particularly the, 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 the college of nonprofit organizations serving blind and visually impaired folks has done nearly enough to, even if it's as simple as, or as tough as, shaming organizations for making bad choices. I don't think we've done a, nearly enough of that. And by, by that, I mean, if, if, if you have, if there's a major blindness organization, let's say, I mean, it's bad enough if it's like the lighthouse of Oshkosh, right? But, but, but let's, let's say it's a major national organization and they hire somebody who, you know, gee whiz, let's say they come from, I don't know. I don't know any blindness person, uh, person who's currently holding that position who comes from the Tupperware world. Okay, I'm thinking on Tupperware because I remember our, our, you know, our late colleague and friend Justin Dark. Right, he made his money through uh, Tupperware, I think, if memory serves. Right. I mean, so so there you go. So let, let's pick on Tupperware for the minute. Somebody who comes to the field who the only thing they know is Tupperware. It doesn't really matter. But but board, the board of directors of major national organization X are, you know, they practically wet themselves with excitement that they've got somebody who has that kind of stature, who has apparently that kind of business acumen and connections and all the rest of it. I, the, the reality of it is we should be mobilizing against that kind of thing. And right. saying, you know what? The reality of it, I don't give a damn how famous they are, how world famous they are, if they don't know, if they don't have a personal connection themselves, either in their own body or in their immediate family or in their professional uh, uh, background or in their life's experience, if they don't have connection to blindness, they have no damn business being part of a major national blindness organization. And if you say, well, right. that's really naive of you, Mark, we need somebody who can actually raise money that I would say to you, you know what? That shows me that you don't know how the hell to market a quali qualified, competent, blind and visually impaired person or someone who is truly an expert in the blindness field. If you put them in a senior leadership position, then you invest in the marketing and communications people to prop that person up and make the most of them. You don't right. say that you put a total idiot in that position i'm sorry i'm getting a little emotional about it but it just it pisses me off because i get so aggravated by organizations that put these people forward and they say well gosh they're rainmakers they must be wonderful that's all we no you know what the problem with those people is they don't just make rain even if they do frankly a lot of them don't make rain most of them are frankly kind of broken down people and they come to our field to retire, and this is their this is their charitable work before they go on to you know meet their maker, right? That all their great work was done before they got to us. So the reality of it is they're they're not coming to us to really work their tails off. They're coming to coast. But let's assume that they even are willing to make make rain. The reality of it is the only way that they're going to make rain is if we actually help them articulate a vision about blindness, which they don't understand. And if we, if we can convince them to stay in their wheelhouse, which is to pick up the phone and talk to their buddies, right. on, 
you know, the North Shore of Chicago or in Manhattan or in Michigan Avenue and wherever it happens to be or in, you know, in Hollywood, in the Hollywood Hills or wherever the hell it is or in Silicon Valley, that's fine. But but the problem with these people is sometimes, you know, boards expect this of them and these people expect it of themselves. They, they're not willing to limit themselves to just make the rain. They actually think that they can make substantive decisions yeah. about the quality of services and who's up and who's down and whether certain programs should exist and certain programs should be diminished and they don't have the capacity to do it. So, so I would argue that's for letting me participate and Mark, we should, uh, we should connect something. <laughs> so I yeah. should argue, I, I would argue and, and, and Anisha, I'll give you one last chance to comment on what I'm about to say. I, I would argue that this goes back to the circle we talked about before Un until consumers begin to say precisely what you're saying, Mark, that, that, that it's crucial to, to, to have folks who know the blindness system in leadership positions and until and until consumers accredit agencies um, and demand that agencies be accredited because their standards suggest that folks need to need to be certified before they assume leadership positions um, until those things begin to happen together, we're never going to change the system. But it's, it's up to the blindness, it's up to the blindness system, I guess is the right word, to essentially say, we're, we're, we're tired of it. We're not going to put up with it anymore. We're going to make the changes that, yeah. that, that, will, make our, that will make our agencies better and stronger and more capable um, because because we value the blindness specific skills that those agencies are teaching and are scared to heck that unless we do it, they're going to go away. Yeah. <clears throat> you agree with that, Anisio? No, I agree. I agree. Although I don't know that. So, but I, I do agree with that. Yeah. Thank you. Anisio, Anisio, thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Mr. Rick, do we have anybody else wanting to get involved in our polemic? Yeah, we've got Alice. Miss, Miss Alice from Georgia. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and oh, I would yeah. just like to say, Mark, first of all, to your last little bit, amen. Because, first of all, I would say even whether or not those who are losing vision later in life ever join us or not we're doing them a disservice when we don't have accredited people serving them because yeah. they don't know what what really is good and what they're capable of when they get excuse me piss poor services yep yep, yep. And, and i would also say to you that i i like you i I, I'm frustrated and irritated by the fact that a lot of the CEOs now of a lot of the centers are marketing people. And you're right. They're there, just like you said, Mark, because they're coasting into retirement. They don't have a clue about blindness. They are making decisions and they don't understand it. And they don't know, you know, what it is that's really needed. Um, 
and and so to me, if if they're going to hire people, if people are going to hire people into those positions who are only into marketing and that, then they ought to be required to go get certification because they have to understand the blind issue. And what even irritates me more is those people who work under them, who are staff, who know better and know that it's not the solution, want to stay quiet because well, I don't want to lose my job, so therefore right. I'm not going to speak yeah. out. And that pisses me off even more than anything because you are selling us out. You're selling out those people who are in need of services, and it just, oh, it makes my blood boil, and I think I I'm done. <laughs> well, Alice, thank you. thank you very much for, for your comments. I, I suspect that Mark and I agree with most of them. I'll add another and ask Mark to comment on this one. Um, in the independent living system, <laughs> it is required that over 50% of the members of boards of directors. How the, how the hell did I know you were going to go here? I, I, I think there was something. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yes, no, I'm fine. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Uh, are, are, are themselves disabled. Mm. Um, the fact is that um, in, in most of our blindness agencies, the boards of directors, um, underrepresent blind people um, and and generally tend to pick blind people um, who compliant. are who are likely to be compliant yeah. um, should should we as consumer organizations or we as the blindness system as a whole because I'd much prefer to see us acting in concert begin to say to boards when we when 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 we start accrediting agencies that that there needs to be meaningful consumer representation on boards. <laughs> so I, there, I have a, in my, I, I have far too many um, uh, MP3 files. I've ripped far too many CDs over the years. And one of the ones that I ripped was uh, off of a, uh, I can't believe I'm going to admit this while the tape is rolling, but I guess it's fine. Um, the the NFB songbook. There was a. I, I'm not sure it's in print anymore. For all I know, maybe they sell it. I should check it out. But it was a a vinyl, uh, uh, you know, record, and uh, it's marvelous. If if you if people haven't heard it, it's fantastic. And there's wonderful songs on there. I I've been working in the workshop. You know, uh, it's a marvelous song. Uh, the workshop on the corner in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I mean, there, there's all kinds of fun tunes on there and one of the songs in that on that uh, uh record from the 1960s is he's a big fat blind uncle tom pig and the, whole <laughs> and the whole point of that song if you listen to the lyrics is and i can't quote it verbatim now because my memory fades but the whole point of it is that there are certain blind people who are put on boards agency boards because they're blind and they're the favorite of the sighted and they do the sighted folks bidding. And, and the truth is, you know what, even in the year 2020, we all know people who are like that. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And yet, you know what, there's also the, the opposite is true too, where either it's someone who's sighted, who's, you know, got the chip on their shoulder because someone in their family or, or maybe it's somebody who, you know, is, is, is blind, but of course they're just anti-agency because that's their shtick. 
Yeah. Right. And, and so, and the reality of it is it shouldn't be about whether your eyeballs don't work. As I said earlier, and it's probably going to get me in trouble, but what the hell, everything gets you in trouble. I mean, I, I do not think that just because someone's eyes don't work, that is not, that is not a credential for anything. I mean, maybe, maybe that fact acquaints you with a certain personal experience, which, you know, opens the eyes of your heart and your mind to things you didn't know before, but it's no guarantor of your being able to serve as a, you know, uh, to fulfill certain fiduciary responsibilities to a nonprofit service provider organization, meeting the needs of blind and visually impaired people. the, The real test is what are your values what is your life experience? And frankly, what are your professional, what is your professional orientation? What is your background? What expertise do you bring to the table? And, and, and as soon as I, as soon as those words just now came out of my mouth, I heard in my own head, you know, people, some people saying, well, look, not all boards of directors are comprised of people who uh, have subject matter expertise after all, uh, sometimes people who have subject matter expertise are not people of influence and affluence that you want on your boards of directors because you need right. those people. And to which I would say, I hear you. That's why you have advisory boards. And by the way, let me just kind of pat the American Council of the Blind on the back here publicly and say, that's why I am totally behind the idea of having an advisory board where we can say, you know what, blind and visually impaired women and men are going to run the American Council of the Blind, but we're going to adopt into the fold some people who might not otherwise qualify for those positions, but who actually are people who are of some means and some brains who we don't otherwise maybe have access to, and we can tap into them not for governance purposes or decision-making about how we're going to live our lives, but we can tap into them for exactly what we need them for, namely networking and for advice on how we can improve ourselves. That's what some of these boards ought to do. I don't think it's about 50% plus one. Just no. because somebody has a disability, that, that, doesn't, that no, is I, not that important to me. I absolutely so, agree. <clears throat> I absolutely agree. But I think if the boards aren't doing it, the American Council of the Blind and the NFB come to that and the Blinded Veterans Association sure. have a role that they can play. Yes. Uh, I, I think I think that that every state and local chapter of of ACB ought to be having regular meetings every three months or every four months with agencies in their area to talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it and to make suggestions and to insist that they listen. Um, And and, and, and more so, Paul, I would say, especially that's especially true as agencies are transitioning their senior leadership. Right. And, and, and so it should be part, if an, if a, if a, if a, if a, uh, a service provider agency or a school who is looking for their new senior leader or even frankly, someone on the senior leadership team, if they, if they are not actively reaching out to the consumer voices, and of course I'm partial to ACB, but why wouldn't I be, but, but you know, to, to, to the, to the consumer voices in their community. And if we're not insisting pounding on the door and saying, 
hey, mister, hey, ma'am, we're out here. We, you need to be talking to us as you start to think about what your next leader should look like, what, what they should be bringing to the table, then shame on us and shame on them. Right. Mr. Rick, do we have anybody else? We've got phone number 8709. Yes, I'm Jason from, from Omaha. And yeah, I noticed another problem um, is that states, some states um, mix the blind with the disabled. And that's why, like in, where the American Printing House for the Blind is, that school has disabled and blind together. And I wish that they would separate because, you know, blind have different laws than disabled. And not just that, but there's people who... Children can get injured if they go mix them together in schools. Are you talking about mixing deaf and blind folks together, Jason? Oh, no, no, like learning like retarded and blind and like other disabilities, like at the, the blind house and in, in where American Printing House is I'm in Kentucky. Uh-huh. All those children, they don't separate the blind from the disabled children. Wow. That's, that's why I couldn't work there, because I only know how to work with blind people, not disabled. Well, I'm 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 sorry you're not still still working there, but I I hear you. That that would that that would be a problem because I think both Mark and I would agree with you that what we're interested in are blindness specific services delivered by qualified and certified folks um, directly to blind and visually impaired folks. Hmm. And another problem is. You see, blind have different laws than disabled. You know, disabled, they can only make up to $1,000 in a job without losing Social Security. But blind, uh -huh. we can make $2,000. We can make that much. And, yep. And yep. Jason, thank you so much for your call. Okay. Thanks. Mr. Mark, the future... Yes, sir. Uh, the, the, the future is not ours to see, as the song says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But we can gaze into crystal balls and kind of look ahead, I, I think. Um, that there, are, there are times when I think that, that this is a good time to be a blindness consumer organization because I think there is more room for the input of blindness consumer organizations now um, than there was, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would, but I I will admit to you while the while the tape is rolling here that I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, I, so 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 in the early 1990s, I mean, I'll drop a couple of names. So my our friend and colleague Paul Schrader used to be uh, ACB's governmental affairs director. I mean, Lord knows he did a great job. I mean. Scott Marshall, somebody, a uh, mentor, a good friend of mine, ours. Right. You know, I, I mean, there, there are people that worked their tails off and did some good stuff. But it, but it does seem like uh, the, 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 the atmosphere has changed. And maybe in almost in, a, in an ironic sort of way, the fact that there are so many Disability voices. I mean, I think right now the, the, the number of organizations that are part of the major national Washington, D.C. Uh, coalition of disability organizations called the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities, or CCD, I think that number is well over 110 organizations. So, right. So I think, I mean, it's overwhelming. And at the same time, 
you know, if you're a person on Capitol Hill or you are in a federal agency and you've got all these various interest groups, maybe it's not so much about the nature of the disability that uh, a certain group represents, but it's the, the caliber of the staff of the disability organization that comes before you. And, I, and, and that's why, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't just my being, you know, smoochy uh, a week or so ago when we did all these recordings uh, for Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I am, I've never been more proud to be an ACB member. And, and, and I happen to be, you know, sitting in the, in the first deep spot at the moment. Uh, but I've never been more proud to be part of the ACB crew and I, I have been today because we've got staff who can more than hold their own. They can hold their hands high and stand, you know, head and shoulders above 20 in that crowd. And and so I'm maybe, I, I don't know if I'm even sort of answering your question, but it just, it just seems to me that, that, that uh, yes, things have changed. And yet maybe in its own ironic sort of way, while while the the crowd has gotten bigger and the noise from that crowd has gotten louder, I think what that means is you just have to know how to shout the loudest. And maybe ACB is coming into its own in learning how to how to shout. And and that that may be part of it. I also think that um, I also think that in in the mid nineties there there was a hierarchy in the blindness system. Um, where, where, where AFB was, was, um, perched on top and where, um, NIB perhaps was, was next in line and, and, and far below mid-levels were the poor little consumer organizations, which were, which were sort of carrying on and that was okay. Um, (laughs) but I think. But I think that a lot of that has changed now, and I think it's largely because of of what um, consumer organizations have done, and yeah. and also at least to a degree, um, what other organizations have chosen not to do. Uh, yeah, I, well, there's no question about that, and 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 I would say, I, and I've said this publicly, and I'll say it tonight that I do think. Um, uh, and and Carl Carl Augusto, the former exec of, of of AFB, and I have you know we've we've spoken frankly about this, and other leaders in AFB. I mean, there are plenty of things that I disagree with with AFB about, or you know, got frustrated with. But I would say that under under Carl Augusto's leadership, there at least was an orientation, an orientation toward toward. Uh, a, a consumer focus yes. uh, a, a, with things like family connect, career connect, uh, vision aware, some of these other, uh, you know, try, as, as we all transitioned into the access world. Access yeah. world, thank you. Yes, there's any number of things. That we, and, yeah. and, I, and I would argue that, that Paul Schrader and I, uh, you know, uh, my tag teaming with him, uh, after Scott Marshall left, I mean, our orientation with advocacy was very much for consumers and consumer-related sure. public policy. So, 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 so that's great. And here's the thing: that did not 
that 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 reorientation did not come freely because the American Foundation for the Blind did instead of focusing on supporting professionals or supporting you know pursuing research grants to support uh, specific research opportunities or university program uh, university personal prep programs or whatever the, the issue might be it's a different it's a different approach and and so I, I think I think we need to recognize that um, well, all any number of us, especially some of us who are really up up close and personal with some of those things, and you know, we can criticize our own employers till the cows come home, because that's what human beings do. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 I would say it, it's tough, uh, and and I think so. That's all. But but to AFB's historic credit, that that is that is what. Uh, AFB traditionally had done, which is to say, identify some things, do the work that needed to be done, set those things adrift or you know aloft, and then and then change to something else. And we will see. We'll, we will see what happens with AFB's future. Right now, AFB is, you know, by any measure, is going through some tough times. And either AFE will survive and thrive or it won't. But I would say I, that's, that's part of just the whole process of changing. And, and, and I would say if, if, if ahead, it doesn't, Paul. it would be a loss. Well, you I, know, I agree it, with you. I yeah. agree with you. Be- because there is clearly a need for, and, and this is the reason why AFE was created a century ago by the professionals that were, you know, because we didn't have consumer organizations at that time. But the professionals said, we, we need an independent voice that isn't, you know, that's clearly objective and independent from us that can conduct the research and do the innovating and all the rest of that that needs to be done. And, uh, and, and we still need that voice today. What I was really struck by, Paul, by your uh, comments a few minutes ago uh, was how when you said, well, so AFB was kind of at the top of the heap. We, we neither you nor I have mentioned our our colleagues and friends at well what is now uh, Lighthouse Guild uh, right which used to be Lighthouse International and Jewish Guild right. and there are any right. number of organizations in that world and it's not because I don't think because either of us have you know disrespect for those groups I think we recognize that there's a role for them they just tend to be a bit more in the medical or, you know, capital R rehabilitation, not vocational rehabilitation world. And, and, and that's an adjacent world. It's not, it's not unrelated to us, but it's a different, it's a different strand and it's a different, it's a different emphasis. And, uh, and so, and, 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 and that is something that we should really think about in terms of, I mean, those organizations seem to be relatively speaking thriving because Mm -hmm. Because they 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 are they they are as Anisio was telling us earlier tonight they they are connected up with a with a, a med- he didn't use these words but a medical model right they are tapped right. into the Medicare Medicaid system and they are tapped into a population that is not necessar- that doesn't necessarily identify as quote unquote our people right so if if we if we look ahead into the future, um, post-pandemic, do you think that 
it's going to be tougher for blind people post-pandemic than it would have been had the pandemic not happened? Oh gosh, I love this question. So th- th- there, there is there is no such thing as a silver lining to COVID nineteen, right? I mean, it's just it's 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 awful. And and I will say that in an environment where blind and visually impaired folks, especially those of us who are white collar blind and visually impaired folks, let's also be careful to make that distinction, right? As opposed to, I, I mean, I think our our friends in the industries world. I mean, I was on a call earlier today with some colleagues, uh, a number of folks, but a, a couple of folks from National Industries for the Blind, who were very, you know, careful to say that because of COVID nineteen, there there are clearly um, jobs in the industries program that have been lost. So so, and and for want of a better convenient or shorthand way of describing them let's let's call those blue collar jobs okay okay so 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 if but for you know those of us who uh run at the mouth uh like me uh you know uh, white collar blind and visually impaired folks uh um what what does covid mean for us i mean I, we've eliminated the need for transportation nobody's going anywhere uh we you know in this environment uh Provided there's a certain threshold level of technological accessibility, you can connect up with your colleagues. Yep. Uh, I, I, I have not, thank God, uh, been dealing with COVID in the last uh, month or so. But I've been dealing with a, a crummy kind of persistent cough or upper respiratory thing. And so, uh, you know, I've been playing around with uh, the telehealth services and the other day i uh was able to uh within the span of two and a half hours uh speak to a virginia licensed physician who after a certain amount of uh consultation um you know uh was able to diagnose or provide what passed for a diagnosis and then uh called in my prescription and uh the pharmacy that i work with actually delivers so Within two and a half hours from the time I initiated the call to the time that uh, somebody showed up with my meds downstairs, that's pretty cool. And I didn't have to leave my apartment, and uh, and it's great. I mean, I, that's not that's not caused by or that's in the benefit of the pandemic. It's just that it's we we have these things available to us today, and we are uh, driven to use them. Uh, because of the circumstances that we're living with now, and it seems to me that we're we're going to see more and more of that that kind of uh, change. I mean, how how many uh, employers are going to be expecting that people show up Monday through Friday, you know, twenty minutes before nine a.m. and stay there at least until five ten p.m. And that uh, their rides, you know, their little paratransit rides don't come too early or too late or whatever the hell the problem is. I mean, I, I, it, it's, I, think, I think nobody really has a clear sense right now of the full impact of this uh, pandemic changed, you know, national work environment such right. that 
Uh, and, but but I, I, I think that there are some profound benefits that are going to redound to, to all of us as blind men and women. Now, as soon as I say that, before I shut up, I want to say, coming full circle now, for the folks who are working in industries programs, I mean, by definition, if you're in, uh, you know, if you're on the line trying to produce stuff, and and that line is shut down or it's not operating very much or you know you're physically expected to be there you you know there's no such thing as as connecting up with a zoom link so that you can operate you know the the uh, the the, uh, the 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 uh, you know the machine or whatever right. the hell it is right so by definition these are people but and I'm not dismissing this but I would say that's so so typical for American society that folks who are on the lower end of the benefits and work spectrum are the first people to frankly um, get the shaft when it comes to, because we haven't done nearly enough to protect everyone at all levels um, of our, of our social structure. So I, I see three or four things on the other side. Maybe you can comment on them. Um, one of them, one of them is, is the fact that I think there are going to be an awful lot of businesses, many of them in the service sector, that are going to fail. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I think that's going to mean that there are going to be a lot more people looking for jobs who are not disabled um, in, in a post-COVID society, which I think is going to make employment for folks with with disabilities and folks who are blind harder. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, um, I think that as well, one of the concerns that I have um, is we are in the process of redirecting our notion of what philanthropy is and what the appropriate um, expectations are for government at the, at the local, state, and national level, mm -hmm. which I think is going to mean that in the long run, a much larger portion of the population is going to be seeking government help, which is going to mean a smaller portion for the pie for specialized services like blindness. Mm-hmm. So, do you agree with with those things? <laughs> I, I and those are all really very, I think, uh, insightful observations. I, I, I don't, I can't disagree with any of them. I would just say, I think uh, it's it's so diff so so. I'll, I'll, let, let me let me um, let me reel myself in and talk about AER for a second. So so sure. So, 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 so AER, we so we have a, a a big conference. That's our major fundraiser that happens every other year. So this past July, we were AER was supposed to have its big biennial international conference in St. Louis, Missouri, actually at the Union Station, where where ACB uh -huh. held our conference in what 2018, I think, and uh, uh -huh. which I I love that venue. I think it's it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, and Lord willing, we will be holding our conference, AR's conference, 
uh, there in 2022. But so, so the question becomes, what does that 2022 conference look like? How many people are really going to come to that thing? Um, what, what uh, for professionals in the blindness system, many of whom go to uh, our conference because their travel expenses are at least in part uh, underwritten by their employers, even though right. th- those employers are more than likely going to be either zeroing out or substantially limiting uh, travel expenses, even if we all woke up tomorrow and were completely uh, immune to this virus, right? Because, right? because society has fundamentally changed and people have woken up to the fact that, my gosh, we don't have to spend all this money to go to the conference. And by the way, the people themselves entirely apart from COVID have said, gee whiz, this is kind of nice to be able to uh, show up to meetings. I can, you know, kind of comb my hair a little bit and put, put on a clean shirt and I can wear, you know, sweatpants on the bottom and that's it. And I don't have to go anywhere. This is kind of nice. I, you know, I, and, and in fact, I think ACB, we ourselves have experienced the same dynamic when, you know, we went virtual this summer ourselves and I don't remember the name of the lady who said this, but the comment was, you know, this is the best ACB convention I've ever been to. The food, you know, the price of the food was just right. And, uh, I, and, 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 and the, the, the hotel bed was perfect because, of course, it was my own bed. And right. So, I mean, I think our whole structure of how we do what we do in this society is so fundamentally changed that I'm not entirely sure we know what the long term effects are. But I would say that those kinds of macro dynamics of, you know, more stuff is going to be done at home. There's more expectation that you're going to kind of be on your own doing your thing. They, that, that has some promise if the technology will support what we do, but it also exposes us to a certain, you know, some of the, the, the challenges that you were talking about. Hey guys, Diane is here. We'll Diane. join in. Sure. First of all, I I kind of agree with that virtual convention idea, but there's also something to say for being able to fly to a place and uh, do sightseeing and see people face to face and hug them and shake hands with them. There's, there's a lot to say for that. So I hope that uh, we won't go entirely virtual anytime mm-hmm. in the future. I, th- I think both Mark and I would agree with that, Miss Diane. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, and and I've been I've been listening in here uh, from the beginning, and you both have done a marvelous job laying out, or I like your word, unpacking um, all of the issues that are you know that are affecting. Uh, blind people and how we interact with the agencies that that we serve. But I guess my question is, what can I, little old me, what can what can I do to, you know, try to resolve some of these issues? Either either me or anyone else who might be listening, or what can what can ACB do to? Uh, you know, try to resolve some of these issues that you've been discussing. 
Well, Diane, uh, what, what, what part of the country do you live in? I'm in Michigan. Well, so, I, I, you know, one of the things I think Paul mentioned earlier tonight, and then, Paul, I'll cue you up for this, and you can either riff on it or, or, or disagree or, or modify. Um, uh, uh, and that is, I think, you know, the, the, the cliche is all politics is local. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of <laughs> activism is for sure local. And I think to the extent that folks at the local level can say, well, gee whiz, uh, what are some of the agencies, what are the direct service providers touching blind and visually impaired folks that I know locally? Who can I reach out to and start speaking up about some of these things? And, you know, gee whiz, uh, what are you doing, uh, ser service provider agency? Uh, what's that you say? You're, you're, you're about to retire your long-standing executive director. Uh, what are your plans for who you plan on hiring? I'd like to be part of the search committee, or I'd like to be part of the process for formulating what the future holds for this agency. Those kinds of local things, they absolutely, you know, collectively, if more and more people across the country did that kind of work, we'd be in a lot better shape. And, and if I can't be on your board of directors, will you set up an advisory board um, that, that would entertain input? And can I then use ACB or NFB um, to, 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 to make what the advisory board suggests more important than it might otherwise be? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, think, I think the other thing that, that I would say is... Um, None of the none of the agencies out there um, have enough staff to do all the things that they want to do, yeah. and all of them are looking for volunteers. And so, if you're minded, and there's an agency around for whom you can volunteer, um, it's amazing how much of a difference you can make by modeling the kinds of behavior um, that capable blind people operate for people who may be losing their vision now, or but also. Um, for agencies and directors of agencies who may have stereotypic attitudes towards people who are blind. Yep. yep. Uh, very well said, Paul and Mark. Uh, thank you for letting me talk with you this evening. Thank you for calling, Miss Diane. We have anybody else, Mr. Rick? Yeah, phone number 8219, please. Uh, this is Peter Heidi. <clears throat> Hi, Peter. Um, from Hi. Wisconsin. We mentioned From Oshkosh what? before, but we didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> we were just picking on funny, funny city names. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like Sheboygan, uh, for example. Yeah. Right. When, when I was uh, doing caning, they always said Oshkosh because it was always over on the sides. But that. <laughs> yeah. That. Um, that um, I, I think that, I mean, although there was great convenience in being able to do the, the convention this last year uh, virtually, um, I mean, one of, the, one of the great things that I think we lost was presence. Um, yes. That, 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 that uh, uh, going to St. Louis and going to Rochester um, was, I mean, um, I, I happened to walk down to a local restaurant when we're in Rochester, um, and and I happened to go. I happened to meet some people that I'd never met before, and we all went down to this restaurant. Um, 
I mean, we created a presence in that community um, yep. that uh, raised the awareness of what blind people were able to do, and um, and just just the fact that we existed. Um, that I mean, you're you're never going to be able to get that doing it virtually. And, yep. um, I um, think that's a really good point, Peter. Yeah. And then I think I think also. Um, that I mean, one of the things that I I appreciate about the convention is, um, yeah, it's it's irritating, it's expensive, it's frustrating, um, but at the end of it, it the, that you've gone to a new place and proven to yourself, uh, to the community around you, uh, but mostly to yourself that, oh, look, I was able to overcome the obstacles. Uh, once again, and uh, no matter what level you're at, um, and that, uh, so I think that there's, you know, I would be very, very, very sad um, if the physical um, aspects of the convention went away. Yeah, I, um, I, I think both Mark and I would agree with that. We, we, we have been going to conventions since God was little, um, and, and, and I don't think and I don't think we're going to change as long as conventions are being held. I suspect both of us will be there. I think that's right. You know, my, yeah. my only comment earlier tonight was that I think we certainly, at least among professionals, whether you're blind or sighted, there's going to be a ratcheting back of the kind of support uh, that plenty of people have historically relied upon to help them pay for the not inconsequential uh, costs of travel and room and board. Right. And, uh, and, and so I think that that may very well transform, uh, but, but you know, as soon as I say that, and now that I'm talking, as I'm thinking here, I, I, the, the, the blindness and vision impairment field, we, we have had so damn many conferences. We, we have so many events. I mean, I, I'm not going to rattle off the whole alphabet soup of the conference, but just as I'm talking, I can easily think of, you know, six or seven or eight conferences sure. to go to. So, and, and, and frankly, if we put, spend a little bit of time, we could probably come up with 12, which means you're going to once one a month. There's no way in hell that that's sustainable uh, no. in a post COVID world. And so that's, that's going to have a serious impact, I think, on, on a number of things. But for sure, among blind and visually impaired folks, I mean, all the points you made are, are spot on. There's no question about it. And, so, and, and then, I guess, go ahead, Peter. Well, the, uh, I was, um, the, we're, while we're here, go ahead then and say what you were going to say. I, I, I have one other point that I want to make, though. Okay. What, what I was going to say is, I, I think the real question, and, and Mark talked about it in terms of AER, and we have to talk about it in terms of ACB as well. You have to be able to expect a certain number of people to turn up for yeah. these events if they're going to be profitable. And, right. and, and if you can't be sure that that number of people is going to turn up, um, you, risk, um, you risk committing a substantial portion of the money you have uh, to to an event that that may or may not succeed, and that's what's hard about about the idea of of yeah. essentially saying, 
oh, it doesn't matter. We can just do a convention. The fact is we can't, neither of us as organizations, because we just don't have the spare capital to take the risks unless we're pretty sure that we're going to be successful. And, yeah. and, and I think what Mark was trying to say, and I have to agree with him, unfortunately, is I don't think we know yet where people are post-pandemic in terms of travel, in terms of willingness to take risks, vaccine or no vaccine, um, in terms of conventions. And so uh, we, would love, we would love to see, to see us back to square one, but I'm not sure that's going to happen as soon as we'd like. Yeah. 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 Well, that, yeah. I think that's true. If I can just if I can just make a comment here, Paul. You sure. Know, the, uh, you know, we're making it sound like it's an either or situation. You know, physical convention or or virtual. I think we're, what we're going to see in the future is a hybrid, where there's going to be you know both hap- both somehow melded together. I think the physical is going to is going to change a little bit uh, to take on some of the better aspects of the virtual, and the virtual will still be there. And I think the sum of the two will probably be greater than what we had in the past. Now, the points about, you know, you know, the, whether or not it can make money in the business side of it are all very valid. I'm not, not trying to minimize that at all, but, uh, I, 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 I think, you know, we're, we're going to see things transit, you know, who knows what's really going to happen, but, Yet you know how we are as human beings. You know, five years right. from now we will have all forgotten about this pandemic, right? So I, I hope so, you're right. So 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 you know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But but anyways, I think the I, I think the I think the the physical recollection of the pandemic is going to go away pretty quickly. But I think I believe that one of the consequences is going to be that whatever happens our physical conventions are going to get smaller and we're going to have to devote less resources to those physical conventions I, and and, right. and more and more to to probably the the other side of our hybrids but peter you had one other point you wanted to make well yeah that i mean in in talking about the consumer uh side of it um and and uh, what it means to be blind and and identifying, um, you know, I I'm I'm a pastor and I, so I work with people in congregations and um, a lot of older people losing their eyesight, and um, uh, and I am encountering encountering more and more people that I because of the um, uh, the 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 organizations that are there for rehabilitation or for for transitioning from one place to another that that they're in this this place that I'm starting to think of not so much as visually impaired but visually embarrassed mm-hmm. and um, and that um, they're being told by um, I, I, that I, I have two people right now uh, in my congregation that are losing their eyesight and um i mean they're being told that they're old and um that they have to expect that they're going to need more help um that they're not going to be able to do those things for themselves anymore and you know and if they were talking about driving a car i'd be saying fine but i mean the the um 
just to find out that their computers can talk to them these days um, when nobody's told them. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, that's, that's criminal. And, and it, um, it slows their ability to enter into what it means to be blind so that um, not only are we taking people that aren't part of the blind community in the first place, but we're preventing other people from huh? becoming, I'm uh, becoming able to know it. Yep. Very good. Um, Peter, thank you. I think, I think you raise a good point. Um, maybe we'll devote another whole program down the road to ask how we do that. How do we get to those folks who are just losing their vision and, and sell what we're doing? I think we have someone else on the line. How can we help you? Yeah, we've got Alice. Alice is back. <laughs> Sorry, my dog was making noise. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think, Paul, first of all, we're already there where um, with the pandemic going on with, with the workforce and disability people being put down because so many people are out of work and looking for jobs sure. and, getting, and even for government services. And what I would say too, in regards to services for the blind here in Georgia, they're doing a lot of the, the stuff virtual and they've made it clear that, that after the pandemic's over, that they probably are going to stick with this, especially because it works for the rural areas. That's and exactly I think right. that's fine for some things, but where we, where I don't see it working is for orientation and mobility but yet, I guess, Mark, you make a good point. We're staying home anyway. Well, but, that's, that's, that's right. But, I think that's right. Yeah, I, oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I yeah. don't know how you can do that. You know, we, and, we, we, haven't, we haven't said it, Alice, but I think you're perfectly correct. Um, what, whatever happens, services are going to be delivered to blind people in hybrid ways after the pandemic. Just as consumer organizations have changed, I don't think... I don't think we will ever go back to a situation where services that are delivered to blind people are only delivered in agency buildings in the future. I think that's right. Well, I and in fact, right. I, 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 you know, I, I've not seen the science on this, but anecdotally, the, the reports are that the commercial office space, you know, uh, lease, uh, commercial office leasing market is just, it's tanked. It's, yeah. it, it, it's awful because who, if you were running a, if you were running a, an, an office, why on earth would you say, I'm going to spend, you know, depending on what part of the country you're in 35 to, you know, if you're in Manhattan, 70 or $80 a square foot to rent an office for people to come in and we're, what you're going to require that. And furthermore, they hate the idea of the, I mean, I'm talking about sighted people now, sudden employees. And then you say, so sorry, so we're not going to house everybody Monday through Friday for eight hours a day. So we're not going to do that. So we're going to have people come in and we're going to scatter them on a, some kind of a, uh, you know, a jiggered schedule or whatever. So blind and visually impaired folks and sighted folks are all kind of in the position of saying, yeah, I kind of, mm -hmm. I like this idea of working from home. I, and gee whiz, we can telecommute. And, and the employers are saying, right. Why on earth do we want to house these people? We don't need to pay for this. Right. I think everything is, has been so fundamentally shaken up and that the, the impacts of that on things like week long, I think the days of a week long conference where a thousand people wander right. 
from yep. one room to another room to another room to sit in rows is over. That is over. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Any 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 other comments before we? Be yeah, Terry Pacheco's here. Miss Terry. No. There, I have. I have, hello to all three of you, um, and everyone else. I have three quick things. Number one, yep. I think one of the things you need to look at, um, as Mark just said, the days of having a week-long convention should have been gone long ago. I think this has absolutely proven it. Um, but keep in mind that this convention, we had more people registered for this convention than we have had in many, many years. Yeah. And that, that sh that's something to think about. The, just they the were fact liberated. that we had so many liberated. more. Yes. Yes. Yep. All right. So uh, many more people and, and people were able to do it without having to, without having to take all that vacation time or what have you for it. Yeah. Um, what were the other two things? <laughs> My mind went blank on it. Um, as far as as far as the jobs are concerned, I think that this has created a very too many people have thought looked down on this for too long. I think in in the blindness community, this has created a much more level playing field for people to be able to do things like call centers, um, things because one of the big things advantages in a call in a call type situation is when that person calls in to you they have no clue that you're blind they have no preconceptions and that can be a big help and i think i think that things like the various duties in the days and the years to come because of uh the pandemic could if we play our cards right could seriously increase the the potential for employment and as interesting far as you got 30 and, seconds for your third okay. point and the third one is i wonder i just want you to think about this one i wonder if we don't push too hard on when people are losing vision especially older people we want to we want to put them right into the blindness we want to use that word blind at them and that's the biggest fear in their lives we need to be doing more from a low vision perspective as they are losing vision rather than the day that they have done left. Or even they or even not as, even or even not even using a label like any of that. Yeah. And just frankly uh, and frankly yeah. accepting people who say, you know what, I don't wanna I don't want any of your labels. I don't want blind, I want I don't want low vision, I don't want partially sighted, I just can't yeah. see too well. We should accept them for who they are. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I exactly. think I would agree with that. Terry, thank you so much. Mark, have you have week. one minute to, to say any final thoughts. And if you would, perhaps give your email address so people can drop you a note if they'd like to. Uh, so the best way is probably through mark at aerbdi.org. That's M-A-R-K at aerbdi.org. Uh, I'd love to continue the conversation with anyone and everyone. Uh, I, I wish that, you know, I had renegotiated the terms of my current employment relationship with AER that they would pay me by the word because Lord knows I can talk a blue streak. <laughs> uh, and I would love to do that with any of you. But, um, Paul, thank you so much for inviting me on the program tonight. This is a joy and uh, always fun to spar with you, sir. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it, gets, it keeps, keeps the pilot light burning. So it, thank you so much. Good fun. It does. Thank you very much, Mark Reichert. Okay. I think I think we've raised some interesting issues. We will do oh, this I think again. So. 
I, I fully expect we're going to, both of us are going to get some emails out of this. I, I, I certainly hope so. In yeah. the meantime, I encourage everyone to listen to Tuesday topics next week. I'm not quite sure at the moment what we're going to be talking about. So it will be the December 15th surprise. In how, the meantime, how many times have we been sued since uh, in, the, in the next week, maybe? Not ever. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> Working in the workshop Got no money in your pants <laughs> The boss man in the workshop Don't give a blind man a chance <laughs> Baby, I've got them blind workshop blues The boss man's in the workshop Drink champagne before they suck And the workers in the workshop They're left with an empty cup Hey baby I've got them blind workshop blue Working in the workshop No money in my pants Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>